0: Today is a good day, and it's, uh, as we are in a part of a series, that it's not just a series, it's really a part of, about who we are, uh, our culture at Northside. It's uh, made an impact, and you don't even know it, it's made an impact because generations of the Northside family are responsible for where we sit today, for where we are today for for not it just being about them but they 're about their faith and their trust in a mighty God and his faithfulness in all things. this faithfulness is about using god 's gifts for god 's glory. Last week, we talked about the gift of time, a gift that we sort of take for granted that we assume will always be there and we, we said if you 're wise you don 't waste your time if you 're prudent, you prioritize your time. And if you're smart, you learn to savor it. You learn to sit on the porch wing a little bit and just enjoy the time that God's given you. So lately at the Levering Household, my lovely children have been really into this game. Perhaps you know this game. It is the game that will show up on the next slide. It is the game known as Monopoly. They always, I mean, they love to play each other, Tyler and Grace do, but they, they really want to play the big man, and, and that's me. They they want to play dad, and there's a reason for that. Now, I stand here today to tell you that I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I want to do my best to follow him. And I, and I love my wife, and I grow more and more in love with her each and every day. And I love my children and will till my dying day in my last breath, but if you come into my house and challenge me to a game of Monopoly, I will crush you. <laughs> I become Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. I must break you. You'll be glad to know um, that this day was no different. <laughs> you see the the sadness on their face, the look of defeat in their eyes. Uh, Dad had another good day in Monopoly. Now, Tyler was saying, there was one time I beat you, Dad. There, there was, don't forget about that. So I'll, I'll give him credit there. But but I tell, uh, Grace is learning to play the game and, and uh, so we're teaching her sort of the strategies and everything. And I said, honey, now if we play, I'm not going to let you win. So if you win... You've really learned how to play the game. Um, People say, man, you are such a harsh, ego-driven, maniacal, ruthless kind of dad, to which I say, it builds character. (laughs) Uh, Someone else posted this on the Internet, how the game of Monopoly usually ends at their house. Maybe you can identify Here's what I love about Monopoly. The crazy thing about Monopoly is that it's really a game about stewardship. If you make the right choices, that'll end up blessing you. Yeah? We, when, when Tyler was little, he used to love getting the chance cards or the, the community chess cards because sometimes, man, you'd get a, a good one, right? And, and he's learned now that there are three ways to win in Monopoly. The first is luck. The second is income. Uh, the third is buying property. And he, of course, knows the one of those ways that always works. He understands the concept of the game. But when you're playing, you can also make the wrong choices. You can you can spend all your money way too quick. You can buy up all pro- the properties haphazardly. You can buy no properties. It can be really challenging, and it can be costly to you, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a stewardship game. And the nice thing it is is that it is a game, although it's a game that my wife hates. Um, she just says, I'm just going to stand back and watch. You make the children cry again. <laughs> this morning, if you can look at that picture, and you would say that picture pretty much represents your financial condition. Today's lesson is for you. Today we're going to talk about money. And I know people, for some reason, don't like talking about money, uh, but that's not true with God. He actually loves talking about money, talks about it a lot. And there's a reason for it, but, but let me remind you of the key verse in this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2, which says, Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. What God has poured out to you should overflow from you. That's true in your time. It's true with your treasure. It's true with your talents. It's true with your relationships. It's true with your family. God gives us so many blessings, but with those blessings come an expectation of faithful stewardship. And so today we are talking about our treasure, being faithful with it. Why? Now, you sit there as you listen to me talk, you think, oh, man, must be short in the budget. Or you're a guest here this morning, you're like, man, I hate coming to church. They're always talking about money. Or you think, man, they must be trying to raise money, going to build a multi-million dollar facility and all that. Nah, we're not talking about it for any of those reasons. We're talking about it because God calls us, 1 Corinthians four two to be faithful stewards. And because, and here's the thing, money is such a huge heart issue. I don't know if you have a wallet or a purse. If you do, take it out for just a second. Go ahead. I'm holding my phone because I'm one of those weird people. I don't carry a wallet. All my, all my cards are right here in my phone case, so... It's, it's a, a follet, It's a, a phone wallet. Okay? As you have that in your hands, can you just, for a second, if you've got it, if you're, if, you, if you're following the preacher's instructions and not just being a passive-aggressive rebel, refusing, but if you have that out in your hands, do you know why it is that Jesus talked about all the contents of your wallet or your purse You know why the Bible has so many scriptures? In fact, it speaks about money more than any other topic. Someone did by one count over 2,000 of the 31,000 Bible verses are about money. Do you know why that is? Because when it comes to money, this is really a matter of this. And here's the issue. Just like you all, whether you want to admit it or not, have issues right here. We all do. A lot of us have issues when it comes to our wallets. When it comes to money, we've all got issues. So let's talk about what those issues are. The first is greed. You see, money really is not a problem. Money is an intangible. It's green pieces of paper. It's coins. It's uh, digital currencies. It's numerals on your banking app. That's not the problem. You might hear people misquote the Bible. They'll say, well, you know the good book says money is the root of all evil. And so people who have lots of it must be all sorts of evil. No, that's not true. (laughs) They don't know the Scriptures. Let's turn to the Scriptures, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, is actually the, the Scripture that they are misquoting. Now, if you don't know the Scriptures too well, just turn to page 1,000. Two hundred and seventy-two, you'll get there just the same way in this Bible. Well, page one thousand two hundred and seventy-two, the scriptures say this: For the love of money is a root, not the root. Is a root of all kinds of evil. The apostle Paul writes, "It is through this craving." that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. You say, "Ah, oh, money is not my problem. I don't, love of money is not my problem. I don't have any money. You've got to have money before you can love money, and that's not my problem. No, 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 hold on. Whoa, whoa, Greed is not just a rich man's sin. Greed is the reason people will line up when that billboard there on Kellogg gets to several hundred million dollars, maybe even surpassing a billion dollars, and they'll go take some of their hard-earned money and just put it right down on the counter. And they'll take money out of their food budget and out of their kids' college education. Why? Because they like to be entertained? No, because they're greedy. Most of the people who play that silly game can't afford to do it. And by the way, if you support that with your dollars, what you're doing is helping exploit exploit poor people. It offends God. It's wrong. But it's greed. That's what the lottery works on. Greed, you see, is not just a rich person's sin. You, You can have plenty of money. It's quite all right. The problem is when you let your money have you when you try to, to dream up schemes of how to scam people, how to, to do a little bit of work for a lot of money, how to cheat the game, how to work the system, all of that is a process of greed. And that's a big issue. You can be broke and greedy. You can be rich and greedy. The problem is not how much you have. The problem is the heart of the person who has it. So we've got to be careful with that. If, you're in, if you are... Like the man who came to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, Hey, Jesus, could you act as the executor of my estate and order my brother to split the inheritance with me? He came to the the living Son of God. He could have asked Him for anything. You know what he asked Him for? Just a little bit more money. It's a problem. It was then. It is now. I have no doubt. There are people in our pews who struggle with greed. The second money issue is debt. Debt, from a financial perspective, is enslaving yourself financially to another. When you sign those loan papers with all that tiny little print, and you have to go through pages and pages of that and sign here and initial here, you know what you are doing? You are putting shackles on yourself. You're saying, I agree to do what you say. Proverbs 22.6 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, you need to understand, just so I'm clear with you, that debt is not a sin. Debt is financially foolish. The Bible has nothing good to say about debt. In fact, outside of Scripture, some of the most successful business people I've talked to say, Debt is a killer for a business, for a marriage, for a partnership. I mean, it's just going to be a killer. We like the show Shark Tank, and you watch these investors who've got millions upon millions of dollars, and people are asking for investment. And sometimes when those entrepreneurs come up and say, well, my business has X amount of millions worth of debt, I mean, you can just see these experienced, practiced, successful business people go, ah, because they know what the Bible says. The the, the debt is financial slavery and that they won't have the freedom to do business if they're enslaved up to their eyeballs in debt. If you read, if you want to just check me on this, read the first 11 verses. I'm not going to read it here, but go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 talks really about debt. Debt. And in in Proverbs chapter 6, one of the the things he says is, if you've signed away yourself in pledge, if if you've co-signed for someone else, do this, act like a gazelle in the hands of the hunter. What is a gazelle doing when it feels like it's hunted down? That gazelle is running as fast as it can. Sorry, that was kind of a terrible run. It was a jaunter, okay, but... But the gazelle isn't playing around. He knows his life is on the line. He knows if he wants to live to see tomorrow, he's got to run and get out of debt as quick as he can. And the proverb says, if you're in that situation, work and don't allow any sleep to come to your eyelids. Do whatever you got to do to get out of debt and set yourself free from your master. Jesus would later say that no one can have two masters He'll either hate the one and despise the other. When you are slave to master card, ironic that they named it that way, when you have discovered bondage, makes it hard to keep your focus on Jesus when you got your focus on your payments. It enslaves you. Okay. Again, it's not a sin, but it just makes you a slave to another. Don't enslave yourself. You say, well, yeah, 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 but I got Milo's points and I got hotel points. I got all these free airline tickets. You're trying to justify your slavery to me. Why would you do that? Listen to the word the rich rule over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. Why do you think they give you those points? Why do you think you give you that cash back? You think Discover's card just sat around and had a meeting and said, you know what? We'd really like to bless a bunch of people today. How do we do that? No. They say if I could just entice them with a little 1%, a little 2%, then we can enslave them. Then they'll sign that agreement and they'll put those shackles on. Don't be a slave. And the third one is fear. And this is the main thing. If your heart is full of fear and anxiety, if, if you wonder if you're going to be able to make the next payment. And so, some people, because of their financial condition, it sort of looks like this. Some people, because of their financial condition, it sort of looks like this. Some people, because of their financial condition, <laughs> sort of looks like this. They've overloaded the mule, baby. They got no plan. They got no emergency fund. They don't know how they're going to send their kids to college. They got no retirement. They're going to work themselves right into the grave. And you can live that way, but I just don't think God intended you to live that way. He didn't didn't hope that you would be praying and praying that the check would clear this time. He, He didn't want you to participate in living paycheck to paycheck, mouth to mouth, just hoping that the check would come quickly enough to be able to cover what you had signed for. He didn't didn't live, he didn't die for you to transfer one balance to another. He didn't want you to wonder how you're going to get the car fixed or how you're going to handle the unexpected ER visit. So you weren't intended just to live hoping that nothing bad happens. Bad things are going to happen. And if you follow God's word and what it says about money, you won't have to. That's why Jesus talked about money. That's why Jesus told us so much and instructed so much about it. It's why we unashamedly talk about money at Northside because it's so close to our hearts. You remember Matthew 6.22 now, don't you? Of course, you see it on the screen, but if you're really serious, I hope you'll turn to Matthew 6.22. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus speaking about all the issues of life, he says, Matthew 6, verse 21, rather, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus understood how big a topic this was. It was love of money that was the root of of Judas's destruction. I mean, for a few pieces of silver... His greed took over, and he betrayed the living Son of God. Love of money was what had kept a rich man who had everything in the world, who asked Jesus the, the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And when he got the answer, he went away sad. And the scripture says, because he had great wealth. More precisely, because his great wealth had him. Love of money made a man ask to split the inheritance. Make Jesus make his brother split the inheritance. This is why it matters. This is why we're talking about it today. And this is why this preacher keeps talking about it. Because when we understand stewardship, it so radically changes everything. Stewardship is a simple but profound word. And as we already said, it means this. We're using Managing God's gifts, not for our glory, but for God's glory. Now think about it for just a minute. You probably know the number. What's the balance on your 401k? What's the balance on your Roth IRA? What's the balance of your bank account? My question, my concern is really not that number as much as it is this. How are you using that to honor God? You see, all of us are stewards, whether we want to be or not. The question is whether we're going to be a wise steward or a foolish steward. A wise steward manages it for God's glory. A foolish steward manages it for his own glory. We have to be intentional to be good stewards. Good stewardship does not happen on accident. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make some decisions. You've got to plan ahead. You've got to think through. You've got to choose whether you're going to serve your money or whether your money is going to serve you. Someone once said, I don't know who it was, couldn't find exactly the source, but they said, money is a wonderful servant, but money is a terrible master. Which, which, one, which side of that coin are you on? Are you serving your money, your blessings, or are they serving you to bless God? If you want to be a good steward, and I hope that you do, there's three basic pieces to financial good, financial stewardship, and we're going to talk about those for the rest of the time. Number one, giving generously. That's part of it. Okay. Now, something happens when you give that's more than, it's not even about the money. Something changes inside of you. Let me ask you this question. What happens to you in your heart when you see this slide? We have that up every Sunday. After somebody talks about giving and prays to the offering, kind of reminds us and instructs us, we tell you how you can give, how you can be a part of God's kingdom, how you can partner with the mission that Northside is on. But people react differently to that slide. Some people bow their heads in shame. They don't even look at it. When the plate comes by, they practice an Old Testament holiday, the Passover. Just pass it over. And if you're in that place this morning, I I really don't mean to shame you because I think that 99% of people in that condition who look down, who practice the Passover, do so not because they don't want to, it's just because they can't. Because they haven't been practicing the principles and the truisms of God's word, and as such, they are unable. They are willing, but they are unable There's so many emotions that go along with this life, from shame to anxiety to worry. But there's the other side of that, too. There's people who have learned God's principles and who have put them into practice. And they, I mean, they don't look at it begrudgingly. They look at it as a joyful opportunity. They are hilarious givers, as the scripture says. They do so with a great deal of gladness. But not just at the plate. These were people... When I was a youth minister, you guys are all getting ready to go to camp. Let me give you some inside baseball to what's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks to Mr. Jim as he's getting ready for camp. There's going to be some beautiful souls who are in this audience, and they're going to go up to Jim when nobody else is around, and they're going to say, hey, I I just want to, to help some people go to camp. Tell me who needs to go to camp. Tell me who's not on the list. And and Jim's going to think of two or three names, and they're going to write a check. They're just going to hand it over. And they're going to do so with a smile on their face, not out of obligation, but because they understand this is an opportunity. There are some people who know your Bible Sunday comes around and they know the story of know your Bible and how God has worked in that to plant the seeds and bring a harvest. And, and when Steve talks about know your Bible, there's going to be some individuals who put some in the play, but there are going to be some people who've been really blessed and they're going to go to Steve and say, I got a check for you. And this might just allow us to go into a whole new market. That's cool. There are going to be some people who get excited about missions and mission work, and, and they hear about all of the good that our missions team is doing. And they say, Mark, we'd like you to talk to the missions team because we, we're ready. We want us to add another missionary. We want to go into another field. And, and the, the missions team will go, yes, all right. Why? How does that happen? Because people understand stewardship. They understand the joy, the opportunity that we have when we give. But despite that slide, I don't want to mislead you. It's not about the ways in which we give as much as it is the why. Follow me to an Old Testament scripture, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, the book of wisdom. Now, it talks about the danger of debt in Proverbs chapter 6, but in Proverbs chapter 3, there is a really cool statement on money in which the wise man says this, honor the Lord with with your wealth. This is page 676 if you're trying to get there. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will be bursting with new wine. Most of the time we get that mixed up. We say, you know, I'm going to stop practicing the Passover, but and and I am going to give, I promise, I'm going to get to know your Bible, I'm going to get to missions, I'm going to help the teens, I'm going to do that. But I just, I'm waiting on this commission, you see. And once that commission gets there, then I'm really going to make it happen. Or I'm going to get this promotion, and then it's going to happen. And and Proverbs says, whoa, 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 you got the cart before the horse. You're doing it in the wrong way. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the, if you're underlining, with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be full. Then your vats will be overflowing. Now we're not getting into prosperity gospel. We're just talking about basic principle. When you sit down to make your monthly budget, top line ought to be God. Top line. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's when you are showing really, truly, if you trust Him. Well, I don't know if I'm going to make all my payments. I don't know. I can just barely. Wait a second. Are you honoring the Lord and trusting him with the first part instead of the leftovers? If God doesn't need our money, you've heard preachers say that. Then why does he want it? Why does he even care? Because giving changes us. We talk about giving, it's not about the budget, it's not about raising money, it's not about about us at Northside, we want you to experience the change that God does in our hearts. Go back to the New Testament now, if you're still following along, and I appreciate those of you who do. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, "I will never leave you, nor forsake you." Giving changes us because it, as we give it away, we're reminded that it wasn't ever ours to begin with. It came from him. And so it, greed I'm sorry, giving keeps us from greed. It's the antidote to greed. If you're a person I talked about earlier that really struggles with greed, and like you have that greedy heart and you hide it pretty well, but you obsess about the, the balance in your retirement account, you, you, you like to have a little extra money, you're, you're always obsessed about not having enough, maybe you're susceptible to greed. The antidote to that is always generous giving. Because it keeps you from the love of money and it helps you trust in the promises that He will never leave you. Can I tell you some bad news? Stock market's going to go down. Yeah, it's going to happen. Not an if, but a when. When you're trusting in the stock market on the way up, you're going to have a hard time on the way down. You've got to trust him and know that he, the market's never going to bottom out on the Messiah. He's always going to be there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Paul said to Timothy in First Timothy chapter 6, he's talking to a young preacher here, and he says this, command the rich. Now, some of you tune out because you're like, that ain't me, I'm rich. <laughs> Listen, if you're living in America this century, this year, you, my friend, are rich. I don't care what your financial condition is. You ain't worried about where your next meal coming from. You have a roof over your head. We live in a more, we're so blessed, he says this to you and me, command the rich to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to willing to share. The the, the scripture that was read for us was slightly off this morning. Um. I just put the wrong that was all on me. But Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through eight. This is what Paul wrote. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will underline this word, please, abound in every good work. Don't you know that when you show your trust, when you put him first, and I'm talking about where it counts in your wallet, that God's going to abound to you every good work. God blesses the giver more than the receiver. We know Acts twenty thirty five. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That, that sounds so weird, but... I can just tell you, as a person who didn't, in his spirit, wasn't a natural giver. I mean, I struggled with giving for a long time. But I was given a wife who's a a giver, who has a father who's a giver. And that's their language. And she and her dad have both taught me, that there is way more blessing when I'm able to bless someone. There's way more blessing that comes to me than ever the person on the receiving end of that. And when you're there, it's a beautiful thing. How is this? Why does this work? Let's 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 get real for just a second. Um, Tyler and Austin, come here. Oh, I'm so glad that you guys chose to match today. That's Really nice. Blue shirt, blue jeans. Okay. What I want you guys to do, because I'm going to give you a blessing, okay? So, what I want you to do is to put your hands out to receive that blessing, okay? This uh, blessing, by the way, is going to be exactly equal, okay? I'm going to give, I think it's like $30. To Tyler. And to Austin, I'm also going to give $30. Now, I've blessed you with that. And what I want you guys to do is to represent what happens to us when we receive God's blessings. What happens to us is there's two different reactions. One is, we forget, we foolishly think that... (laughs) It's about the blessing or it's about the blesse. And so, as Tyler's going to show, we take hold of that money and we grab hold of it tightly. Grab it. Just, you, you, you're you mad. You lost a monopoly yesterday, dude. <laughs> hold on to it, man. Grip it. Don't let it go. Hold it close to you. Or, hold that pose, right? Th- no, 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 hold that pose, man. Okay. Or, you receive it with joy, so smile, there you go. (laughs) If you're happy, don't forget to tell your face, okay? All right? You receive it with joy, but you just keep an open hand, okay? Both hands, for illustrative purposes, okay? You just hold out that blessing because you are, as the scriptures say, generous and willing to share. Question for all of you watching this and those of you watching online. Into which hands as the bless er am I more likely to give more blessings? This guy? Eh, sorry, you lose again. <laughs> or this guy. Ah. You see, that's cute when we use teenagers and we talk about money, but more of us than we realize all into these categories. And I want to ask you not just to do a heart check this morning, I want to ask you to do a hand check this morning. How do your hands look when God gives you a blessing? Is it all about you? Is it all about having more? Is it about holding on tight? Is it about not letting go? Or is it understanding that it never was yours to begin with? That it's His that He gave to you because He's good He's a good, good father. And he wants to pour more back into your hands if you'll just have the right heart. As his father, I love both my children. But the blessings are going to be more easily received of the one whose hands and whose heart are open. That's how giving changes us. That's why it matters so much more than you realize when you see that slide or see that plate. What's happening is not just a hand position. It's a heart position. Now, poor lowly preacher, I'm not giving you my money. <laughs> Hold on just a second, though. It is a, it is a, the money I gave you is my Chick-fil-A fund. Oh, No. Goodness, can't even get my blessings out here. But I want to give you more blessings. Okay. So what posture should your hands be in? <laughs> hey, it's like they're teenagers or something. Their parents are like they know that that posture's not a problem. Okay? Now, what I want to challenge you to do is not use that blessing from heaven. I mean, the Chick-fil-A gift card, that's manna from above. Okay? It ain't about you guys. I want you to have an open hand and an open heart and to bless somebody with that blessing. Okay? Thanks for helping out. May we give generously. second, save diligently. Saving is wise. The book of, of wisdom Proverbs mentions the importance of savings several times. And it's not just about saving, saving, saving for no purpose, but it's with a purpose. Proverbs 13, 11 says wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but he, whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 21 verse 20 precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours all he has. you got to save up for those rainy days, because I promise you, it's going to rain. You need to save up for the future, because that's a wise thing to do. And you ought to save for your retirement years, so that you can not spend your time working, but spend your time enjoying with the family that you love. I mean, wouldn't that be cool, if you could sit down with your children, And write them all a $10,000 check and say, this is part of your inheritance, but I want you to enjoy it now. Or to be able to say, hey, I want to take you and the kids and you and the kids and you and the kids and take the whole family and go on a cruise for a week. Wouldn't that be awesome? Don't you think that's part of the blessing? That doesn't happen unless you save little by little. Jesus told a story about a man who was a saver. But he didn't just save money. He saved a life. We call him the Good Samaritan. His story is in Luke chapter 10. We're not going to delve into it tonight, We're going to, or this morning, but we are going to delve into it tonight. So if you want to hear more about the Good Samaritan, join us back this evening at 6 o'clock. But the Good Samaritan had two things. One, he had the heart of a giver, that open hand. And two, he had the ability to give. You see we hear about him in the story when he's already got everything he needs to help the man who had been robbed. But what we forget is there is a part before the story where he was saving that extra oil and that wine. He was saving a little so he could pay the hotel bill. He was wisely saving up to buy an animal that he would put that man on. You see the story of the good Samaritan does not happen unless the good Samaritan was a good steward. So may we not forget it. To spend wise to save diligently. But finally, and the final priority is to spend wisely. Solomon once wisely observed this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone, Ecclesiastes 5:19, wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them and to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. I hope you underline that if you're following along. This is a gift of God. You see, life is meant to be lived and enjoyed. Spending is not a sin. Some of you are miserable misers and you don't, you know, don't come out of your cave except every triple coupon Thursday to, you know, go coupon and and save every penny you can and, and you have money but you just don't enjoy your life. You've got to spend wisely, but spend it to enjoy it in a wise, thoughtful way. The main thing is this. You've got to learn to act your wage. Okay, If you have lots of money, your ratios are going to be better. You can spend lots of money. Earlier this week, the uh, General Motors unveiled the, the new Corvette, the C8. Now, if you don't know, I'm a big vet fan, but um, the C8. Oh, 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 let me tell you about the C8. Oh, that does. That makes my heart go a little faster just thinking about it. Now, C8 is way, way outside of the preaching guy's budget, okay? But there are some people in this room who could afford a C8. And if I saw them driving in, I'd say, man, that's awesome. That's awesome to see how God is blessing you. That is great. Some people are like, nobody needs a C8. Yeah, people who can't afford it don't need a C8, okay? But if you can afford it and it's within your budget, some people are like, you know, if you got all that multiple millions of dollars, a C8 is like me going out and buying a 72 Pinto. Nobody cares. It's such a small part of your world. So here's the thing about stewardship. Don't ever judge someone else's stewardship. God gave you to manage you. You are not and to manage everyone else, okay? So people who have a hard time, people who are just wealth haters, I don't think that's biblical either. Just act your wage. Now, if the preaching guy comes in here driving a C8, maybe a time for an intervention, okay? Maybe a time for a conversation about stewardship. But the main thing is act your wage. The key difference to do this, you've got to learn the difference between two crucial things – Wants and needs. You gotta know the difference. And so easy to do. Catch yourself. How many times you say, Well, I really need to. Nah, you don't. Well, I really need. Nah, you don't. You want. You don't need. There are very few things that you need. But there's a lot of things that we want. And when you spend, you gotta have a plan. You know? It's just not smart to go to Dylan's on an empty stomach, okay? Also not smart to go to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru on an empty stomach. It's just not. It's going to end badly. So I have a plan before you go. But can I say something? Just step on your toes a little bit. Don't go to Amazon with an empty heart. After you've had a rough week, and you pull out the Amazon app, and it's Prime Day, and you're just buying stuff to medicate, just to to soothe something that's hurting inside of you, because that's not going to do it. Be a wise spender. Retail therapy, not healthy and not wise. If you are fearful, if you are frustrated, if right now you're a little bit angry and you're tired of this sermon on money, good, I've got you right in the right spot. Because you need help. And maybe you're willing to admit it, maybe you're not. But the good news is at Northside, our mission is to help everybody wherever they are in their journey. And that includes financial. And so we've got a help, a tool to help you learn God's ways of handling money. We call it Financial Peace University. We've been doing it for many years. And our goal is to help people. The class is going to start in September. It's nine weeks long and it can help you. Now, we've got three coordinators. Don't know where they all are. But it, guys, if I call your name if you'll just stand up. We've got Frank McKee. We got Larry McKinley. And we got Brad Sibley. And these guys are helping coordinate this class and have been for several years. And uh, say standing, Larry, not so fast, not so fast. I want you to look at them because you're thinking right now I'm so mad and angry at the preacher. What I want you to do is stop looking at me and start looking at these guys. Not to get mad at them, okay? <laughs> but to seek them out for help. They can help you. They want to help you, and they can connect you with a class that is not only biblical, but practical. Okay? So look at one of these guys, seek them out. Guy with the black shirt, guy with the tie, guy with the red shirt. Okay. You know who they are. Seek them out right after services. Now, have a seat. The class is $100. Now you're back to hating the preacher again, okay? The thing is, you've got to have some skin in the game. We understand that. The materials cost money and all of that. But listen, if you're here this morning and you cannot afford FPU, but you need to go to FPU, do this. Text that number on the screen. Text Frank. He was the guy wearing the black shirt. Text him and just say, I need some help. And I want to go to Financial Peace University, but I can't afford it. And you tell Frank how much you can do. If you can only pay 50 bucks, fine. If you can only pay 20 bucks, fine. If you can only pay a dollar, fine. But do something. And ask for help. And then the second part. If you've been through FPU, if you're living God's principles, if you've been blessed, I want you to consider possibly going to Frank or Larry or Brad and saying, Hey, come here just a second. I want to help some people go through FPU. Just put this on my tab. Let me write you a check. Let me give you a donation. Because I want to help somebody in the way that God has blessed and helped. So, you can sign up for a financial piece of the Activities Corner for that class in September. You should text Frank or talk to one of those guys if you want to know more information. But don't leave here frustrated with your finances and not do anything about it. God doesn't want you to not do anything about it. I'm not the only one who loves Monopoly. Johnny did too. Johnny loved the game of Monopoly because, well, his grandmother taught it to him. And just like in our home... His grandmother, though she loved Johnny, she always beat him in Monopoly. She was always winning. She couldn't. Figure, he, Johnny couldn't figure out how to do it. And she kept beating him again and again until one day she, they went over, they got out that game board, they lifted the box, they sorted the pieces, they played the game, and at the end of the game, Grandma was bankrupt. And Johnny had all the winnings. He was elated. He was ecstatic. shouldn't have been so happy for beating his grandmother, goodness sakes. But as he reveled in his winning, his grandmother, with the wisdom of the ages, said, Now, Johnny, there's just one more lesson about Monopoly, and it's this. The game's mine. And when the game's over, it all goes back in the box. You and I could learn a lot from Johnny's grandmother. We're playing a game that's more than a game. And it all belongs to God, Psalm 24 says. And someday, metaphorically speaking, it's all going back in the box. It's all going to burn up. All the wealth you have, all the stuff you have, all the stuff you've accumulated, it's going back in the box. And the question in that moment is, are you ready to step into eternity? If you are not ready, you need to know not just the giver, but the gift that he gave, his son. His son, Jesus the Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave, not just anything, his son, his only son. And so, in every way, we've got to make sure that we are faithful and that we know his son. If you are ready to accept the gift from the giver, if you're ready to obey the gospel, the command to repent and be baptized, I want to encourage you to begin today, to start today. And we've been talking about the stuff of life, money and stuff, but I want to talk talk to you about the stuff of eternity. Don't miss this moment and miss out on the greatest gift ever given, not just you, not just me, but all of us, all the world, the gift of Jesus. But it's up to us. It's in our hands whether we're going to accept it. The decision now is yours. We're going to sing a song as we sing that song. I hope you make the right one. Please sing with us as together we stand and sing. Keep your hands open and keep your heart open too.